Hello, everyone, and welcome to Random Encounter 245 or 245. My name is John O'Logan, and I have more or less recovered from not E3 2022. Uh, finally, that was a crazy week, as you heard uh, in the last episode, where it was we did our big, we did our big not E3 breakdown of like all of the news and stuff like that. And we just talked about so many games. And now that it's all over, uh, it's kind of like you get to comb through the the wreckage and be like, ooh, here's a game I forgot or I, I missed or so that's really, really cool. And uh, that does not unfortunately mean that the news stops. The video game news train keeps going and no one's suplexing it. Uh, so on today's show, we're going to be talking about some significant announcements uh, that have happened over the last few days uh, since the last episode. And uh, joining me on this episode are Zach Wilkerson. Hello. And our fearless leader, Mike Sabato. Hello. So, uh, you know, we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about uh, a pretty anticipated game, and we're going to be doing, talking about some cool demos that have recently dropped. But let's jump right into the, I guess, for most people would be the biggest news, which would be the Final Fantasy VII 25th anniversary celebration. Uh, this happened uh, a few days ago as of recording. Uh, it was a 10-minute presentation, like super, super short uh, in comparison to all of the insane, like lengthy presentations <laughs> from Naughty 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the PC gaming show, for example. Two hours plus. Oof. Yeah, this um, guy did not watch that. <laughs> no, this was uh, a... <laughs> it, it was a long show. It was not a bad show. It was a long show. Uh, uh, but this was like 10 minutes, just in, out, bam. It was great. Um, but they announced a ton of stuff, including some like merchandise, which I don't care about. Uh, but the first big announcement was uh, that they are doing a full remaster of the PSP exclusive Final Fantasy VII prequel, Crisis Core. Uh, this was a game that starred Zach Fair, uh, and it was released back in 2008 and hasn't really been available since then. Uh, but now they are bringing it back. It's a much beloved game. It's going to have updated character models to bring the designs in line with Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, it looks real, real good, and it's going to be released this winter. So this year, uh, we're going to be getting some, well, maybe not this year, maybe the beginning of 2020, end of 2022, beginning of 2023, we're going to be getting some Final Fantasy VII goodness. Uh, have either of you played Crisis Core? Because I actually haven't, because I never owned a PSP. I played um, most of Crisis Core. <laughs> um, I don't think I ever quite finished it. I thought um, some of the mission, um, I guess, structures were pretty repetitive at times. But for mm. a PSP game, it was good. And I also came to it kind of late. It was like 2016, 2017 when I tried to play it. I mean, I liked it, but I don't know. Other games happened in 2017. Um, and it just uh, didn't stick. But I am very excited about this uh, remake because I think it'll be an excuse for me to actually finish it. I'm curious to see, um, without really giving anything away, how faithful they're going to be to that original story as well. Yeah, this, unlike Final Fantasy VII Remake, this looks to be a pretty straightforward mm -hmm. uh, remaster. So it would be nice if they added some clarification with the story and added a few uh, a few touches that tie into the remake. I mean, it, it, it looks like it's almost a shot-by-shot -shot remake. And like you could see, like, I, I don't remember, it was probably Steph who did this. It was putting, like, uh, images uh, next to each other from remake and from um, Crisis Core, the original on PSP. And it looks like it's really, they're really recreating that game. And I think that would be kind of cool, um, given that they're kind of going, they're doing some different things with remake maybe just giving a very faithful remaster or remake of Crisis Core would be pretty cool, I think. I'm going to be interested too, because it's my understanding that, like, for example, what you mentioned about the the mission structure, it was released in 2008 for the PSP. And back in those days, the PSP and the DS were the 
the mobile devices of their day. So the mission mm-hmm. structure was designed for a commute, essentially. Right. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that translates to how it's going to be played today. Yeah. Like I would imagine that might get an update. It's kind of like how um, Persona 3 had its like exploration like drastically changed on PSP. Um, although for some reason, the portable version of that is what's coming to it's consoles now. But yeah, exactly. I don't know about that. Um, so yeah, Crisis Core, I'm sorry to say I have not played yet. That's one of my, my Final Fantasies that I, I just missed. Um, I have it. I'm actually very glad. Like, I think I have a copy of it on PSP. So I'll probably just wait and play the new one at this point. But I'm glad it is available because... And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it has not been available anywhere since then. Like, it's I don't think it's ever been on PSN because no, of I think I some, think it's just PSP. Yeah, I think it's some like I haven't really looked into it, but I've heard that it's like it's some like licensing deal, kind of like how Type Zero was like stuck in Japan for a long time because of huh. some music licensing stuff. Yeah, back in those days, I recall 2008, they did a uh, they did a pretty big push of Final Fantasy VII content back then. Yeah. And this was like their centerpiece of it. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the, uh, maybe the only part of the compilation that I actually mostly enjoyed. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't think of anything else that's even worth anyone's time. So yeah, um, there's that. So I'm sorry, Zach, do you not like Advent Children? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, there's a lot of building slashing in that game. And if you like building slashing, I can recommend other games to you, but never mind. <laughs> it does have great music. Okay, I know there are people who like Advent Children. I just don't know any of them. <laughs> um, you know, I, I will admit, um, I I liked it at the time, just like when it was new, because, and I'm not saying this like to brag or anything, just it so happened that they, when they did the premiere for the movie, it was in LA and I lived near LA at the time. So I did get to go to this cool theater in LA, like for the premiere and like, you know, in that setting when you're hyped up and like the actors are there and everything, it was, it was a neat event to go to. Yeah. Um, asked me to explain what the plot of the movie was besides, you know, Sephiroth just being there at the end. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it was cool CG. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, some other news that, Frankly, I mean, we're getting the we're getting the release of uh, uh, Intergrade on Steam finally. So if you have if you own Final Fantasy VII Remake on Steam and you've been waiting for the DLC, you're about to get it. Uh, there is some news that came out about Final Fantasy VII: The First Soldier, which is uh, their online battle royale game, uh, which Greg covered a while back, and I have not heard a tremendous amount since then. But apparently, it's it's pretty good. Um, to be frank, the the news that I've been the most interested in is Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis, which is a mobile game that looks like a, an almost like episodic or like broken up remake of the original Final Fantasy VII uh, with the graphic style that's keeping very close to the stylized graphics from the PlayStation version, but with a much more polished look. I think it looks really, really, really cool. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think it looks great. I would love them to bring it to, I don't know, the Switch, because uh, I hate playing things on my phone. But um, yeah. I still think that it's... And it definitely, it satisfies fans, maybe like me, who aren't as crazy about changes they're making to remake, and they're kind of you know updating the original um, mm-hmm. in ways that I think is, are cool as well. well speaking of uh, changes, which we won't be talking about here necessarily, because no spoilers. Also, I haven't played it yet, and I don't want it to be spoiled, because it's sitting on my... Uh, it's sitting on my uh, PS5 right now, waiting for me to finish another game. Uh, but they have announced the second part of the Final Fantasy VII Remake series. It is now confirmed to be a trilogy of games. And the second part is going to be Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. And that is going to be coming out uh, next winter. So that could be either winter 2023 or uh, 
So late 2023, early 2024, one of those two, I would put money on 2024. But yeah, it uh, they have, they've announced it. We saw some gameplay footage, some some hints about the story. Uh, we don't know the name yet of the third game in the series. It will presumably be like re something, so remake, rebirth, resuscitate, recycle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, recycle would play into the you know environmental you know message. I think That's it's a great true. idea. Yeah, mm. um, yeah. But following this pattern, we'll get it by like 2027, uh, which is. I mean, I know these are not small games, but at the same time, it's like, oh my God, that is that is such a lengthy period of time. Um, but to those who have seen the footage from the uh, anniversary celebration, what did you make of the remake footage? Or I guess the Rebirth Village footage? I thought it looked fantastic. I, I was pleasantly surprised, given how long the announcement to release period was between the first part of um, 7 Remake or whatever we want to call it now, because they're not calling remake is like remake part two or something um but um i I was pleasantly surprised um i was expecting maybe mid of the next year and especially given that we're going to be looking at um final fantasy 14 major (laughs) update coming around that time um we're looking at 16 not that long before that i mean it's just like it's a whole lot of like the big hitters for final fantasy hitting at once and that's one of the reasons why i thought it had to be a little bit further out Mm -hmm. um but man, I was excited to see it. I I thought that the animations that we saw were really cool. Um, some of the updates we've gotten since that they're going to try to make it sort of open world, um, which given just the firepower and the horsepower that this game requires, even like the first part of Remake, I think is amazing um, that they were able to do it as quickly as they were able to do it. Um, so I'm excited to see where they go. I'm trepidatious, but um, I'm going to get it on day one. I'll play it immediately. Um, So I'm not one of those people who like hated remake or something. I I have some issues with it, but I'm excited for to see what comes next. I think it'd be pretty amazing if Rebirth turns out to be the entirety of the rest of Final Fantasy VII, and then the third game is just Advent Children. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) They've already, this is not really giving you the way, they've already put some Advent Children stuff in, so that's not... I hope that's not going to happen, but we'll see. Maybe they'll fix. <laughs> maybe they'll fix Advent Children. I mean, that would fit with the recycle. Yeah, there you go. That's true. <laughs> Part three is just actually Dirge of Cerberus. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but Vincent. That's it. All Vincent. I mean, I thought that sounded like a good idea when it came out. Yeah, <laughs> I would bet that Vincent will probably, if they're following the same, I guess, formula that they did with the remake, Final Fantasy VII. Uh, Rebirth will probably not have Vincent in it at all. And then they'll release like Final Fantasy VII Rebirth Integrade. That will be his story, kind of oh, like they did with Yuffie. Mm, mm-hmm. Seems like a possibility. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people were hoping to see him, um, and we did not. So Every, yeah. Everyone wants to see Vincent. He's just <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. A, that's a true story. He's so cool by <laughs> Final Fantasy. Uh, in 1997, he was the pinnacle of coolness. And the 90s are back now. So once again, once again he is <laughs> I imagine cool we will. I would yeah. think we'll see Vincent and Sid in the next one. I mean, you would have to. Like, you, they're not so far into the main story that it would make sense for them to be all the way into the third game. Especially since we know they're doing it in three parts. Yeah, um, that yeah. helps. I imagine so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but that, that put me at ease a little bit because I wasn't sure what they planned on doing with it. And when they, because remember when they first announced, like, you know, we're doing it in parts and it's like, well, we don't know. And it's, it's, 
when they don't give any indication, you just right. think it's like, is this going to be like five or six games? Like, what, how far are they going to stretch Especially because Midgar is only like five of 40 hours. So yeah, it's like, exactly. Oh <laughs> yeah, um, and I mean, at the time when they announced it, we were also in the still in the midst of like Telltale Games episodic games, where I I guess the way they announced it, I, I think me and a lot of other people kind of thought they were going to be like short games. Yeah. Like short short experiences that kind of combine mm-hmm. into a whole, whereas the reality is not that. Essentially, what they're doing is Final Fantasy VII Part 1, Part 2, Part 3. It's a trilogy of, like, mm-hmm. a full story, but, like, I don't know, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like the, the first part sort of stands on its own its own way. Um, it has a logical stopping point um, in a way that I actually wasn't expecting originally. Um, I was expecting it to be a little bit more episodic. So, I mean, I think that, and they even said that you can play Rebirth without having knowledge of Remake. I'm like, why would you do that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's move on now to another uh, massive game announcement that's a sequel. uh, And that is Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Nintendo announced that they were doing a Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Direct, which was met with universal uh, acclaim and happiness from the entirety of the internet. <laughs> it does not mean that we're not going to get a Nintendo Direct. Don't worry. It just means they want to feature this game, and they should. Yeah. I mean, it's the Nintendo property that I'm personally most excited about, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about it a little bit in uh, the RPG fan staff chat, but like, I'm going to be 100% honest, and I was the minority here. I was baffled by this direct. I found, <laughs> I found, especially the first half of it, I found it to be almost incomprehensible. Maybe it was just because I've never played the series before, but it was weird editing and it was jumping around and the storytelling was really strange. Um, I thought that the direct got way better when they started digging into the mechanics uh, later mm-hmm. in it. But like the first half, I was just like, what the heck is this? Um, so is there anyone here who's a fan of Xenoblade? Oh, I am. Um, I know. Yes. <laughs> I dumped like 300 hours into Xenoblade 2. <laughs> um, it's interesting because um, there wasn't really a lot of new information. And I guess they've been sort of like trickling out information about Xenoblade 3, um, like in the Japanese Twitter for like weeks now. Um, and so a lot of the information there was either like something that is sort of either been mostly hinted at or has been covered um, and sort of knowing some things about the world of Xenoblade 3, and I don't really want to give anything away to anyone here, because um, go play Xenoblade, you guys. Um, I know, is, yes, I know. Um, kind of knowing sort of how it's situated within the series, um, I think gives you enough of a foundation to understand what's happening. And, and since I'm so excited about this game, I've spent a lot of time, I guess, on the internet, just reading about it and also sort of understanding the world in general. Um, but I also, so, so I guess my point is that like, I understood enough of what I thought they were doing with the story. Um, and I was kind of okay with the way they were hinting at it and like the way they were giving out information mm-hmm. because I knew enough already, but the combat part for me, and that's the thing that I love about Xenoblade two in particular was also the part that I was the most interested in. So I, I understand. I thought they did a really great job actually of sort of like showing you, how many different systems there are going to be at play in this game, which oh, and makes there are sense because there yeah. were a ton in Xenoblade two as well. It looks like um, it's going to, it looks, it seems to me like it's going to be a little bit like more Xenoblade one in the way that it plays in some ways, but also going to bring some of the added complexity of Xenoblade two. And I think it's going to make a lot of people happy because mm-hmm. um, Xenoblade two is generally not as popular as the first one, um, even though I kind of prefer it, but um, I thought it was great direct uh, for someone who's a fan. Now, maybe someone who's being introduced to the series, I'm not sure if it would have been as effective. Uh, it wasn't to me. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> um, 
it did not it did not make me actively dislike the game like I, I didn't watch it and i was like well this is clearly not for me um because clearly it is but i do admit that the beginning of it felt a little bit alienating to me um That's fair. that being said if you're watching a nintendo direct or if you're watching a xenoblade chronicles 3 direct presumably you have some familiarity with the series that's fair yeah. and i mean it looks like the story it starts out with a fairly you know a classic rpg tale of two two teams of teenagers from rival countries fighting mm-hmm. each other and then having to team up with each other when their countries turn on them like that's a pretty pretty standard rpg setup um but it, hopefully they're going to take it in some very different directions and in the classic xenoblade uh world oh, speaking yeah. of the world it looks big oh yeah it looks phenomenal um, and I think that the conceit of like the people who were born into this world only living for 10 years, um, is going to bring in some really interesting questions as Takahashi does about, um, mortality and about like the reasons we live life, um, and sort of why they're having this battle. I'm sure they don't even really know the reason why, um, it, it gave me some Xenogears vibes. Um, I, I, I'm super excited about it um it's by far my most anticipated game of the year so yeah i um and i'm gonna buy that expansion pass too i was excited to see they announced that and i'm sure they'll put some returning characters in there um from earlier xenoblades and so i think if you're a fan of xenoblade i can't imagine coming away from that being dissatisfied you know what i mean so yeah there's also the announcement that there's going to be a of uh, DLC and expansions uh, mm-hmm. coming out from launch day to the very end of 2023. Yeah, and I'll, I'll pick it up as well. Because um, like, with uh, Xenoblade 2, when they even announced this is going to be something similar, they had a, an expansion um, called Torna, which was like it's almost its own game. It was like a 40-hour game. My partner's playing cool. it for the first time right now. And it's uh, reminding me of how amazing it is. Um, and I'm sure they'll do something similar. Um, it sets a bar so high for DLC. Like they were so generous with the DLC with Xenoblade 2 that I'm sure they will do the same here. It's $30 right. more than well spent. Yeah. Mike, have you any experience with the Xeno series? I am really good at starting them. <laughs> um, I, I, I have played the original Xenoblade. I got not super far, but far enough. Uh, and then I, I did start playing again with the Definitive Edition. But, you know, the best and worst thing about those games for me is that I am that person who wants to do the side quests because I like the little stories in, in them. Mm-hmm. So I, it takes me so long to get through them because I do everything before I move on. Um, so for better or for worse. Um, and then, let's see, X, if, if X counts as ma- the main series or not, um, I got pretty far in it. I think I put like 80 or 90 hours, but I don't really know how far I am. In, <laughs> that in, means in we're the... about a third of the way through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> These games are lengthy. That well, one like, in particular is Well, X, long. Yeah, X is strange because like that's another one like where the game is more side quest than main story. Like the main story is very like, well, it's there. And I just, I did it when I felt like it, but I was more invested in every other story going on in the city and the planet. Um, so I can't, I can't talk about it as much as Zach did. I can say about the DLC though, like that as much as Nintendo does things sometimes that are like strange and some of us are like, huh, well, that was an odd choice. Um, they are like, they don't really understand the internet sometimes, like even now, but they somehow get DLC. Like if you look Mm -hmm. at what they're doing right now with Mario Kart and even what they did with Mario Kart before that and, um, some of their other stuff, the Xenoblade one, like they're, yeah. Or they Smash. really give you Expansion a lot. Were good, good prices yeah. Too. And Smash, yeah. They give you a lot for what you're paying. And like, I appreciate that. I wish more companies did it that way. So I, I would expect that is what the three DLC will be like as well. Uh, th- again, this is not a series that I have played. I have the definitive edition of uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. 
uh, flagged for sale. So whenever it goes on sale, I will be flagged for it. Um, and at that point, I will probably buy it because it's the kind of game that I would like to play. And it's a game that I would like to get through uh, in time for. Well, I mean, obviously not in time for Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Although, <laughs> you know what? They might use this as an excuse to put the other two on sale or the other three. Well, I guess no, only one or only one and two are available on the Switch. And right. X Cross is on Wii U. Yeah. Yeah. X is on in exile. They'll yeah. they'll release it in a remaster and what, like. <laughs> 15 years like One crisis core i mean i hope it so a couple it's, years ago and they'd never yeah did. i mean it's it's a big like it's one of the few wii u games that has not been like like major ones that hasn't come to the switch mm-hmm. yeah because if they just made the ui a little bit bigger in that game i would be very happy yeah definitely <laughs> the text is almost i can't even read it in uh-huh. game half the time <laughs> i think that's probably the problem like uh, i think they're probably aware of that especially if you're going to play it on handheld so would it would require more more ui work than the others i think also then again trying to measure like sales numbers based on the performance that a game had on the wii u is uh it, it, it's it's going to be very very difficult for <laughs> a number of reasons yeah like no one had the wii u um and that system was hacked very early on uh which obviously hurt sales quite a bit um so you know maybe we'll see it at some point but in the meantime we're getting chronicles 3 and the direct was as i said the first half to me was kind of incomprehensible but the rest of it was really really interesting and showed me quite a few rpg systems including a job system uh like a joint system where you can join two characters together uh and some some pretty cool stuff that really actually interested me in the game in a a gameplay wise and I bet the story will uh, draw me in too once I actually get it presented to me in a, a slightly more accessible fashion. Anyway, let's move on now to uh, a review that just went up on the site. Uh, of, it's a sequel. Uh, another, it's another sequel. And it is, a, it is a sequel of a game that many people at RPG Fan absolutely love. Um, and when it got announced, it, you know, people were really freaking out about it. It has one of those names that you look at and you're like, what the hell? hell is this so it's uh ai the somnium files uh nirvana initiative but the a and the i are capitalized uh in nirvana initiative so we've been we've been talking and i think uh uh nirvana initiative nirvana ai AI initiative initiative. yeah (laughs) nirvana initiative um so yeah it's a it's a tricky game to say uh and it's also a tricky game to really uh kind of explain so let's talk about this for a sec so this is a sequel to ai the somnium files uh which is a probably one of the best known puzzle box uh games of the last few years and Mm -hmm. zach you opened the review with a I think you opened your review with a, a, a damn good and short analysis of why and why not mystery box narratives work. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of mystery box narratives when they're good. And Uchikoshi, the guy who makes these games, usually knows how to do it really well. So I'm, I'm usually drawn into anything he's throwing my way. Yeah, a mystery box narrative for those who are listening is, I guess, the mo- best known mystery box narrative for a lot of people would be Lost. Uh it's a it's a story where you know there's a central mystery and maybe there are some more mysteries outside of that and uh, basically everything is kind of you know heading toward heading towards a resolution hopefully a satisfying resolution. Uh, another example of a, a more recent mystery box uh, would be Russian Doll. Uh, then you have like the anti mystery box, which I would argue is Twin Peaks season three. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. That... David Lynch has no interest in the mystery box. <laughs> 
there's there's a literal there's a literal box in the first Indeed. episode <laughs> um and you and by the end of it you're like hmm, i wonder what that box means it reminds and then me it, of the blue box in Mulholland drive too except for yeah. in that case he actually answers the questions <laughs> yeah uh I, I i love david lynch twin peaks season three i i i both love and hate it i can't, I can't anyway back to the game um <laughs> So yeah, this uh, the Somnium Files was considered to be one of the best mystery box games ever made. Uh, with its sequel, uh, it didn't quite live up to your uh, hopeful expectations, did it, Zach? No, um, it didn't. I mean, I still liked it. Um, and if you look uh, online, and I'm sure anybody who's interested will, um, you can see that most people who reviewed this game reviewed it a little bit higher than I did, um, which I, I'm totally fine with. I'm glad they liked it more than me. Um, but yeah, I mean, so those of you who haven't played um, anything from you know, uh, Uchikoshi, who is the guy who made the Zero Escape series. So like 999, Virtue's Last Reward, Zero Time Dilemma. Um, has gone Let's on to not make... mention Worlds and Club. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> um, has gone on to make AI. Um, and this is, um, in some ways, and he even mentions this in some interviews, this is like the most direct sequel he's made. Like it's the same engine. It looks the same. Like with 999 and VLR, like they were sequels, but like they they felt like they were different narratives that sort of stood on their own in weird ways. Um, and um, so he likes to sort of do a blend of like a adventure point and click puzzles where you're sort of like figuring things out. Um, and usually also a visual novel that is going to present a lot of different mysteries um, and kind of like sort of stack them on top of each other. Um, and the thing that I think is usually remarkable about Yuji Koshi um, is that he populates it with characters that are really amazing um, he makes the puzzle solving in some cases way too difficult for me. Luckily in this case, I was able to do it without a guide. I could not do that with the zero escape series. I was, I was worried going in, um, and usually having a really satisfying resolution. Um, and so, um, AI, the Somnium files, um, those of you who haven't played it, um, follows basically, um, a guy named Konami Date who works for, um, a group called Abyss. And basically what, they they do as an investigative unit um, is they have uh, an, like one of their eyes removed <laughs> um, and there's a literal AI ball, eyeball, uh-huh, get it, um, put in there um, and they can, um, you know, observe different things. They can do like x-rays, they can do thermals to see if people are lying. But the most important thing they can do is they can hop into another person's psyche. Um, and they can learn about their different um, dreams and that can help them hopefully get clues about whatever the case is. Um, and so in both the first AI and in this one, they're do, they're investigating um, serial murders. Um, and so the second one um, follows sort of two different characters. And I can't say much. The review embargo details were very precise about this. And I had to kind of dance around them. Um, but it follows two different characters who are investigating uh, what's called the half body murders, which basically just means that like half of a body is basically just like molecularly cut in half and then just dropped somewhere. Um, And you have to, um, you know, investigate why that happened. Which half? I'm curious. (laughs) Can you say? um, The first one is... Are we we talking about like a legs torso situation or are we talking about... No, it's like literally cut like uh, vertically down the middle. All right. Yeah. And so in this, and I think the first body that's dropped is the left side. I, I, I actually cannot say, <laughs> according to embargo details, more than that. Um, 
So yeah, and then and eventually you start investigating that. Um, and you have two protagonists here. One is Mizuki, who those of you who played the first AI, she is the sort of like adopted daughter of the uh, protagonist from the first game. And she's a little bit older now. And now she is an investigator for Abyss. And then you also follow a guy named Ryuki who's investigated. And it's sort of the narrative sort of takes place six years apart um, where they're investigating some of it in one section like six years ago. And then six years later, the body shows back up. Um, and that's sort of the the premise of the story. Um, but um, it sort of is it, told to you through like a visual novel s- setup. Um, but you also, when you're in those AI or you're in those people's dreams, you have to like solve puzzles within them by like going through and like interacting with different objects the way you would in a point and click, but you have a time limit of six minutes. And every time you interact with an object, it takes up, a certain amount of time. Um, and that's just sort of the way that the story is uh, given to you um, and how you sort of make your way through it. Okay. Uh, it sounds like, you know, it's a, it's a direct sequel. Do you think that mm-hmm. might be one of the reasons why you don't feel that the narrative quite works? So one of the things that Uchikoshi always does really well, and I think he particularly did well in AI, I think he does it well here as, as well, um, is that he has just like these really amazing characters. And like a sense of humor that is often, I think some people would consider it to be a little too sexual. Um, you mentioned it's, that it's charged. Uh, yeah. Um, it's... Um, it, it it just is very much like almost like a really, really smart, immature boy who's obsessed with like philosophy um, made a video game. And that's kind of, I don't know who I was when I was 16. So I like that. <laughs> um, and so um, that's part of it. And I think part of the reason why it doesn't work as well is that, um, you know, the um, story in both of these games is really dark. It's following a serial killer and like all these really horrible things happen. But the protagonist in the first game was Date, um, who never took anything seriously. He gets powered up by looking at porno mags. And so, again, uh, if you're talking about the immature humor, that gets to it. Um, but he's so ridiculous that, like, it makes everything still work. Whereas here, Mizuki, who was amazing at the first game, maybe um, takes things a little too seriously. And she's l- kind of not a light enough touch, I think, sometimes. Um, and Ryuki, I feel like there are times when we don't really know enough about him to really emotionally connect with him. And so sometimes I feel like that um, doesn't work as well either. Um, it feels like a sequel that really didn't need to be made in some ways on that front. Uh, okay. It is a direct sequel, though. So it, it looks yes. and sounds very similar to the first one. Yeah, it's it's I mean, the, the animations are a little bit smoother. I played the first game on Switch and it definitely had some performance problems there. Um, and I'm not sure if on it, switch. Yeah. <laughs> go figure it. Um, whereas on the PS4 that I played it on, um, there were some relatively long loading times sometimes, but I thought that um, it ran a lot smoother. The animations are a little bit better. The music's very similar. Um, but yeah, I mean, it felt very similar in a lot of ways. It just, the narrative at the end in particular, just does not cohere in a way that is emotionally satisfying. Oh, uh, no. So that they fell into the, the classic trap of the mystery box, which is the conclusion of the mystery box. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it gives you um, a twist that recontextualizes things. That's always what Uchikoshi does. But in this case, it doesn't feel like it's clever. It just feels like it was a way to like mess with you while you were playing it as opposed to being like an inherent part of the way the story was told. Um, and then the ultimate conclusion, like, is, again, I can't really say anything about it, but it's just, it's not clever. It's not interesting to me. It just felt like a trick. Um, mm. And then it feels like Uchikoshi just wanted to 
throw everything against the wall at once because um, he thought it would be fun. And I did not think it worked as well as it could have. But the characters are still amazing. The sense of humor is still there. The Somniums are even better in this game. Like, it's still a good game. Oh, yeah. It doesn't sound like you disliked the game at all. It sounds yeah. like you very much enjoyed it. You just didn't enjoy it quite as much as previous titles yeah. or, the, or the original game. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it's kind of like a season of television that – a season of television, like a, a legendary show that's not quite as good as the others, like uh, – right season six of Buffy or like season five of the West Wing, which are both still very watchable, mm-hmm. but they somewhat still lack the magic of their other seasons. Yeah. I mean, it's like the classic season two problem when you say it that way. That's an interesting way of saying it. I'm going to get some hate for saying season six of Buffy isn't great. <laughs> um, From Zach. <laughs> I'm not going to give you hate for it. It is actually my favorite season of Buffy. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it, it just didn't work as well, but it's still, if you like Uchikoshi, if you like the first AI, it plays better. The Somniums are better. Other people like it more than me. It's probably worth checking out. Um, I just didn't think it reached the levels of his previous games. Double Meat Palace. I'm only going to say that. Double Meat Palace. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Once more with feeling? Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I'm not saying that it didn't reach heights. I'm saying, anyway, it doesn't matter. This is not a Buffy podcast, nor should it be. Um, yeah. And getting, I think the thing that really resonates with me is I think a lot of people, and this guy sounds like he's the master of the mystery box. So it's really, Mm -hmm. really disappointing that he didn't actually uh, pull off a a satisfying conclusion because that Mm -hmm. I think is one of the major uh, traps of the mystery box uh, that a lot of television producers have been falling into over the last uh, decades since lost is Mm -hmm. they, they know how to set up a mystery, but they just can't seem to come to a satisfying conclusion. Like that was, that's been my big issue with uh, well, I mean, Star Trek discovery, Quentin's going to be pissed uh, with over the last <laughs> few seasons, which is uh, they will successfully like set up a massive and intriguing mystery. And then it will like stumble in the middle. Like they won't quite know how to get to the ending. And then they get to the ending mm-hmm. and it's less than satisfying, unfortunately. And they don't really tie up the, the, they don't open the box, I guess you could say, or they open the box and there's just like nothing there yeah. or just a crying child sitting in a big pile of dilithium. Um <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say it's it, it definitely it, it solves the mystery. Okay. And I oh, don't think good. it's totally unsatisfying, but I do think that a lot of the way that and again, it's hard to talk about um a lot of the way the story is told, it's very it's very linear, which is not the way that Uchikoshi games usually go. Um cuz usually can follow multiple paths and things like that. You can here too, but they're kind of forced down certain paths. But because of the way that he sort of made himself tell the story, um, it gets really, really repetitive in the way that like, I don't know, um, I feel like season two of Lost did sometimes um, mm-hmm. where it would just be like, all right, you're clearly treading water here. And the reason he's treading water is that the narrative construction sort of forces him to. Okay. Um, but again, it's, I can't really go beyond that, <laughs> but it yeah, was, you said, it was, hand, it was you said handholding was a big problem with this thing, yes, yeah. with this game in the review. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Aside from all that, how does it sound like in terms of music and the voice acting? Oh, the voice acting is phenomenal. Um, the voice acting in the first AI was amazing. Um, the, the voice acting in this one is amazing. I, I, I love every single voice actor um, in the in, in the game. I don't. I, there's not one that I don't think totally gets it from an uh, at least in the English track perspective. Um, and the music is good. Um, it feels a little bit like synthy noir, a little sci-fi. It all sort of makes sense together. It's never like obtrusive. Um, I, I'm not 
I, I know Mike's going to yell at me for this, but I'm not good at talking specifically about why music works when I'm talking about it from a broad perspective. Mm. Um, but I thought <laughs> I thought that it was good. <laughs> uh, may I direct people to the next episode of Rhythm Encounter, in which Zach <laughs> has plenty of good insights into music. Mm-hmm. Takes me a lot of time to think about that. Okay, <laughs> I am uh, I'm a big fan of you on uh, Rhythm Encounter. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, uh, aside from all of that, it sounds like you very much enjoyed the game, which mm-hmm. is you know, good. It just, you know, you didn't enjoy it as much as others. So maybe he will learn from it. Um, it seems like his last few games have not been living up to the the lofty expectations of his fans, like World's End Club, for example. So <laughs> this is more successful than that, apparently. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's it's probably a little more successful than Zero Time Dilemma. Those of you who are huge Uchikosu fans, um, I like Zero Time Dilemma more than most, but I think it's a little better than that, but it does not hit the first AI for me. I thought the resolution of that game was brilliant, um, but it certainly doesn't hit 999 or VLR for me either. Yeah, these are games that I have. My, I have a system in place that I, I created, um, which is I will always have 10 games installed on my computer uh, at any one time, and they are 10 games from my backlog, and I will not install anything else aside from that. I have to finish at least one of these 10 games before I install something else. <laughs> uh, and uh, Zero Escape, uh, the Nunnery games are number 10. Uh, on the list because it starts with Z. Um, so they are going to be played at some point in the near future. And I look forward to it. I mean, given your affinity for point and click adventure, I think you would like them a lot. Yeah, I think I'm, 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 it, it's a game. Well, they are games that I've heard amazing things about. Um, yeah. So yeah, fingers crossed. I like it. Um, all right. Well, now that I've successfully pissed off Twin Peaks fans, Buffy fans, and Star Trek Discovery fans uh, <laughs> with the last segment. I don't think I pissed off any West Wing fans. Season 5 sucks. <laughs> you didn't actually say anything uh, positive or negative about Lost, even though Lost came up like multiple times. That was kind of the easy one. I watched the first season of Lost, and then I was like, I don't care. Oh, um, you didn't finish it. Okay. All no. Right. The, re- the resolution of, of Lost is unsatisfying to many. So, Yeah. <laughs> That's what I heard. I start. I heard that I started watching it after it was all over, and then I started. And then I watched the first season, and I was like, eh, "I like it. I guess I don't. If I knew that it was going to have a positive resolution, like a, a really good ending, I would probably continue with it. But from what I've heard, it doesn't. The same reason why I'll never stop game or start Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's an excellent choice. Excellent choice. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, well, we're let's let's stop talking about. Uh, about uh, current games. Let's talk about games that are coming out in the future, which is the Steam Next Fest Demo Roundup, which in my head kind of goes to the theme of Woody's Roundup from Toy Story 2. Um, Mike has been downloading and playing many, many demos over the last, uh, well, couple of days, uh, weeks, I guess. How long is the? How long was the Next Fest demo? Uh, uh, it was for a week. I mean, it's over it now. So these games are no, no longer available now, but they are still um, available to be played if you downloaded them at the time, many no, of them anyway. You can still download them, as far as I oh. know. Uh, some oh, of really? them. Some, it's, it's so weird. Like, with, with demos on Steam, like, when they do these events, I always grab them, hoping I can play them. And then when the event is over, I go and check. And, like, sometimes they still work. I have a couple demos from at least last year. Um, and, the, and these are demos for games that are already released, and they I can still launch them. So, hmm. so sometimes uh, I know some several of the ones that I I played and will be talking about here. Um, you still can get the demos because I like hurried and tried to play them before the twentieth when the event ended, but like I can still launch them after. Well, if you uh, are listening to this and you hear anything that really makes you go, hmm, apparently they are they are all still available. 
Um, so anyway, let, let's just dive straight in. So we're going to talk about four uh, demos that you uh, enjoyed from the uh, Next Fest roundup. Um, it's not called the Next Fest roundup. That's just my way of saying it. It's, <laughs> it's Team Next Fest. Uh, the first one is Potion Permit. And the central conceit of this, it's a pixel art RPG where you become a potion master in a small town that only has like backwards medicine. And you need to bring it in line with uh, the the advanced medical world with potions. Uh, so you need to find ingredients, you need to diagnose conditions, and of course, make potions to treat them. So this really seems up your alley, Mike. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's really easy to make the Stardew comparison, even though it's not actually a farming game in any way. But it's yeah, it's a sim RPG. It's a sim RPG. You know, you have a town full of like interesting characters, um, but at least you know it still has its own like visual identity to it. It does, which is the thing that was bothering me the most about most of the Stardew Valley clones that came out during Naughty Three is they all just look like Stardew Valley. This looks like it's taking some inspiration, but it's doing its own thing. Right. Right. No, I've I've been watching this game for a couple of years now. Um, I don't even think they had an actual publisher um, when it was first announced. But I think, is it 505? It's P-Cube. Same thing, 505 P-Cube. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, so P-Cube's publishing it. So ever since they signed up, I've been I've noticed like more and more updates on the game. But um, it's it's a lot of fun. I didn't actually finish the demo, and I played it longer than any other game. But it's it's a lengthy demo, or maybe I just like wandering around. As we figured, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's fun though. Like it's it's you know I guess it's out sometime this year, which makes sense because it's more polished than I was expecting for a demo. So you know you, you do have the sim elements of talking to the people in town, and you're supposed to brew potions. And it is one of those. It does follow a lot of uh, sim games where it's like you know you're new in town, of course, but in this case it's you know you are from the big city, and like the people in this town don't trust big city alchemists because. The last alchemist was there, like did something like really, really messed things up. They talk about it in the demo, but I don't know what it is yet. So promised yeah. to come up with a potion that makes it rain and then didn't. Maybe like so like you're early on, like your sort of antagonist is like literally called a he's a witch doctor. And he's like, you know, you're trying to help the mayor's uh, uh, mayor. Meyer, by the way, is his name. Um, <laughs> you're trying to help his daughter who's sick, but the witch doctor can't do it. So they're like, well, let's get this alchemist in. Like we need to like, you know, open our minds to this again. Like, cause you know, they've all been like closed off and you know, it ultimately it's not good for the town because they've basically just gotten set in their ways. And uh, yeah. so you're there to try to help that and prove that like, you know, even though you're a big city person, like you're, you're not an evil person. So you kind of have to like win over the people and their trust. So um, so I enjoy it. You have a dog. You have a dog that like follows you around everywhere. So that's important. You yes, you can pet him, and yes, you can feed him. At this point, I think if if they put a dog in a game and they don't put that in, they're just asking for bad reviews. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so like, I, I did a lot of like wandering and talking to people and buying stuff and petting the dog. Um, you do. I did get to spend some time like the gathering section, and like there's a little bit of combat. Like I'm not sure how far that goes, but that is how you. It seems like the combat is mostly there to get more materials, like different animals and creatures drop different things to be used in more potions. Okay. Um, and the potion part is actually kind of fun. It's um, it. I don't know if it's technically inspired by some of the more recent Atelier games, because I know some of them have like a cauldron that's sort of like a grid and it's like kind of puzzle-like. But basically every every material you pick up once you get back to your, uh, your lab there has a shape to it like think tetris blocks like there's like a one by one a two and like different l shapes 
uh-huh. each one has a different elemental affinity. So like to brew a potion, you have to use the materials that fit into this like little grid. Like each potion has its own pattern you have to like fill in like a puzzle game Hmm. um not super complicated but it's interesting because you're like well i guess i need more i need another bear claw um (laughs) not the pastry like an actual bear claw Um, bear claws are you are rarely used as ingredients in potions yes the pastry um but apparently real bear claws are in this game but uh yeah it's interesting um i'm i'm looking forward to like talking to the people more and it's just it has a just nice you know relaxing vibe to it um i'm curious what else you can do like there's so much the the lab you're in is just just run down like it's been abandoned for years so your your furniture is literally a bed and a ragged couch and a rug full of holes so i i would like to you know fix that room up up a little bit yeah uh yeah so i i feel like there's a lot there you can only see part of the map in the demo so it seems like a fairly big big game too i'm really trying to put my finger on the graphic style it's it's pixel art and it looks great uh, it doesn't look like we said it does not look like uh, Stardew Valley at all. Like kind of an anime version of the graphic style of Eastward, maybe. Yeah. Like it, it's really uh-huh. unique. I really like it. Yeah, that's a good comparison. The animations are nice. So I'm I'm hopeful for it. I didn't, yeah. I didn't really see anything in it that was like, oh, well, that's weird. I guess the, the only weird thing for me was just uh, I did not realize how much the game seems to be designed for controller. Mm-hmm. Um which I didn't play with controller because I just I didn't have one connected and it wasn't charged. So I'm like, I'll just play with keyboard. So I'm like running around confirming things with K and I got used to <laughs> it, but it's I think it's definitely meant to be played on controller, which is why it's coming to consoles too. Well, let's continue with the small town theme here uh, with going to Spirity. So this is an other sort of, uh, I guess it's still kind of an RPG sim game. Uh, and essentially you become a Ghostbuster or a ghost whisperer more accurately. Yeah. So uh, in this, you can speak to ghosts and your job is to like, I guess, speak to the do- ghosts in this town and calm them down while you're also becoming part of the town. Right. Um, so guess what? When you start this game, you're coming in from out of town and you are the new person in the village. Wow. Ex- except this time they want you there. So it's, it's a little different vibe. Like people aren't like antagonistic towards you. So at I mean, least based on what you said at the last game, they would also welcome someone who says that they can talk to ghosts. <laughs> Oh, that was that was a bit mean, really. That was a bit Aww. of a slam on small towns. Yeah, yeah. So the, the visual style of Spirity is interesting. It's definitely definitely channeling some Earthbound vibes. I would say Earthbound. Yeah, I yeah. saw it. I was like, okay, this is like a high def Earthbound. Yeah, like like simple but effective pixel art, but it's very like a lot of flat shading. Um, so unless you don't like that, I think it's I think it's cute. It, at least it's something that you don't see a whole lot of anymore. Um, it's fun. Um, I don't, I want to play more of it because the demo, the demo gives you a good, um, indication of what the game is like, but it's not overly long. So like you can walk around, there's a few people in town you talk to and you get introduced to brewing spirit tea. And when you brew that tea, you can see the spirits in town. And, um, so you, you meet, oh, I forget his name. This like cat spirit. So he helps you and the dialogue is cute. There's, there's some typos, which I will I will forgive in a demo, but like, like I, it doesn't bother me. Game, yeah. yeah, I mean, hopefully it is. But like, I think the writing is pretty well is pretty well done. Like, there's some jokes in there that were legitimately funny. Um, and uh, yeah, so you meet this spirit, and he's telling you, it's like, hey, you know, this again. This is so now that I'm talking about him back to back, it's like you know, this town used to be more prosperous, but. Um, people stopped like, you know, worshiping and like believing in these spirits and all that. So like all the spirits become 
lost basically so like no one sees them anymore or talks to them mm. so he leads you up to the the temple um on top of the mountain and like there's a tree like growing through the temple and there's roots and it's just like it's just it looks like no one's been there in decades you know mm-hmm. so it's a bath it's basically a bathhouse and it's a bathhouse for spirits so the idea is you're supposed to like spruce this place back up and you know attract spirits and like you know say it's like hey you know you're welcome here and of course, for your services, they give you money, and then that goes back into the town, so you can like help rebuild and you know basically make people happy again. <laughs> okay, um, I think I think that small towns that have run upon hard times are very popular settings for sim RPGs because they provide a number of systems like inherent in the concept that work really really well uh, with gameplay. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you know, like seeing it and playing it, even hearing about it. Like if you're thinking like, well, that sounds almost like a like a Studio Ghibli movie. Like, yes, absolutely. Like that is I'm pretty sure they say in the description like that is part of their inspiration Um, and it works. You know, you so in the demo you can and I think this demo is still available. So I'm not just wasting your time talking about how it works. But, you know, you, you can go down to the basement and like you get the fire going, get the boiler going. You go and clean up the kitchen, the, the kitchen slash washroom. I'm not sure why those are the same room, but. Uh, Generally, I like my toilet to be as far away from the fridge as possible. Well, it's a laundry room. It's a laundry room. Okay. Um, so like you have to like clean the towels and hang the towels to dry and then set them out for the spirits to come in. And and there's a bit of a, they, they introduce you to a little bit to like the strategy of sit, where you sit the spirits because each spirit is aligned with different seasons and some seasons get along and some don't. Um, they don't really tell you. There's not enough in the demo. There's only two different spirits. So you don't know which season they are. But like, if you sit two of them right next to each other, they're not as happy as if you were to sit them apart. So depending on their happiness, like they'll, you'll get more or less money. And so that, that seems like it will be interesting. Like as you have more baths open, you're like, okay, well, you have to get used to like, make sure these two are near each other but th- this guy like wants to sit by himself over here um well let's move away from the uh, the small town sim rpg and uh since we were speaking about ghosts let's talk about ghost song so this is a creepy rpg uh style metroidvania so lots of rpg mechanics and uh again you know it's, it's not 3d graphics but it has a stunning animated graphic style uh and it it, it kind of looks like a mixture between like the futuristic Metroid vibe and the decaying world of hollow Knight. Yeah, I could see that. I think it, um, it has some, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring up salt and sanctuary, but like salt and sanctuary, almost dark souls with like some of the like, <laughs> get out, some of the things you run. <laughs> well, I only say salt and sanctuary cause it's 2d, but ghost song is another one where that game has been in development for so long. Like I have, I have mock-ups of an RPG fan site design from 2015. And at the time I put some like mock-up artwork of Ghost Song for something. And like, even then it's like, I don't know when this is coming out. Like, I don't know how long it's been in development, but that's another one that now a publisher, um, Humble Games is bringing it out. So like, there's some momentum. Like I was not expecting to see more about this game this year, let alone like a demo. And it's like, it's really polished. So I, it's really exciting to see like it actually getting somewhere now. The graphic style is really, really cool. It actually... The graphic style of it reminds me of a graphic style in a series of games that are definitely not Metroidvanias. Um, uh, Dave Gilbert's adventure games. So Unavowed, uh, for example, it kind of looks a little bit like that and uh, really is eye-catching. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely there's definitely some actual Metroid influences, but more it's just incredibly detailed. 
and like everything looks just really has this like hand-drawn feel to it and people bleed numbers so it hits the rpg uh hits the rpg meter um actually yeah more than i expected um you know we're you know you and i especially talk about this all the time like it's so hard it's a metroidvania how much rpg mechanics is it is it symphony of the night or is it castlevania 4 which is not a metroidvania yeah you know what i mean like until you really see them and like get into the menus and stuff but like i i play this and i open the menus like you have your suit has levels there's a ton of stats um the the combat is really is interesting because i only got like one extra weapon in the demo so far because this is another one that i kept playing and i have not finished yet um and i think it was optional because when you start the game like you're supposed to go right and i went left and there's um like a named enemy like you go and like see it standing there and its name pops up so i'm like oh i guess this is sort of a boss which is why it it kills you in two hits um Mm -hmm. but i was stubborn and decided to fight it and it drops like a, a sub weapon so i have this extra weapon um I think I had a reason for explaining that. But anyway, so you have your you have a, a meter for your sub weapon there, which thankfully recharges. It, it's like a it just has cooldown. So like after you fire so many times, you got to wait for it to recharge. There's mm-hmm. another one for your melee attacks. And um, what's interesting, and it tells you partway through the demo, this works. But like as you're firing your gun, your gun heats up. And if you keep going, it gets like overheated. So you got to like have literally have to let it cool down. Um but your melee attack involves swinging the gun. So if your gun is super hot and you switch to melee attacks, your melee attacks are stronger while it's hot. Oh, that's so clever. it really encourages you to like alternate your attacks and like, who knows how many sub weapons there are too. So that'll add more variety. That's a neat idea. The idea of uh, one attack charges the other. I like yeah. that a mm-hmm. lot actually. Uh, in what I played, uh, no, there are no health pickups. So it is, it is definitely meant to be challenging. Um, I got, a power up that lets you restore your health it, and there's it looks like sort of like energy tanks in super metroid but like mm-hmm. you use them on demand okay um, but otherwise it looks like you only as far as i can see you only get recharged at save points um and then when you die it does uh knock down your max health um which i think that also is restored at a save point so like if you keep dying your max health will get you know be lower each time and i know that is something seen in other games even though i can't place what other games at the moment mm-hmm. so yeah like the, the world is interesting there's there's a bit of uh there's a bit of voice acting like your your character um does like try to talk to some other random denizens on whatever planet this is um so obviously there's a big mystery going on i couldn't tell you anything about it um, <laughs> i do know that when you i i made the mistake of trying to uh bring up the screen sub screen and like switch my weapons and look at some stats while running from that, like semi boss thing at the beginning and realize that the game does not actually pause when you're doing that. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so you got to watch yourself. You got to watch yourself. Um, and I got, what did I get? Was it a dash upgrade? I got some upgrade and to install upgrades, you actually have to shut down your suit. Like you don't just go into a menu, turn it off. Like you, you hit a button to shut yourself down to go mm-hmm. and switch your things on and then reboot yourself. So again, you can't just like quickly do it in the middle of combat. So I don't know. I, I don't know how big and expensive the game is, but the the game world is really fascinating and it's, they really want you to like be creeped out by what's going on there. Like weird, like parasite fungus things that like take over other creatures. Um, yeah. There's a lot of creepy stuff going on, but the, the controls are solid. Uh, the music is perfect for the atmosphere, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Well, that's awesome. Well, speaking of creepy yet wholesome things, 
Uh, let's talk Coffee Talk, Episode 2, Hibiscus and Butterfly. So uh, in this game, you are in a fantasy world of a fantasy world version of Seattle, uh, working at a coffee shop. And the whole point of it, it's, it's just a very cool, chill game. You get to know people, you get to master latte art, and you get to enjoy some excellent lo-fi tunes. Uh, Mike, I know that you are a massive fan of the original episode one of Coffee Talk. Oh boy, am I. I was looking forward to that game for a while. Um, the fact that it came out at the beginning of 2020 is really just a coincidence because that's just when the game was done. But let me tell you, uh, that was the perfect game to be playing in like spring of 2020. Oh yeah, that was a, that was a perfect from what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, my, uh, my girlfriend and I both like, we played that whole thing together and, uh, just it's got such a cool little cast of characters um the di- dialogue is fun making the drinks the music i mean it's one of my favorite soundtracks of 2020 and uh from what i've heard of the soundtrack of the second one we're into in for some more yeah it's a actually a kind of a tragic situation uh the creator and developer of the original coffee talk uh, muhammad fami uh passed away in march of this year i'm not yeah. sure how involved uh he was with episode two i assume quite a bit i'm guessing quite a bit because um up until that happened i know that they had been promoting and were targeting a i'm not sure if they said spring but i think it was maybe the first half at least of this year for release for the sequel and now it's next year how's the demo like how much how much gameplay do you get from it um less than an hour it's not a lot but like the the original game i think is maybe 10 hours i don't remember remember exactly but i don't remember anything from that time either (laughs) Um, I will say, like, just just really quickly, like, on on the subject of the creator, they did, and I don't want to, like, I don't remember the numbers, so I can't tell you, but um, when when that had happened, they uh, uh, the company did put up a like a they did like a fundraiser thing, and they were giving away something. I think it was like some merchandise, and I, I wish I had thought about this ahead of time and looked it up, but like they they did pretty well, um, and mm-hmm. as in like they they were asking for donations and some other stuff, and. I can't remember if they did a stream. I hope I'm not like completely saying this wrong. I just know they had something going on to like support his family and all that. And like, they, they made a, a decent amount of money for that. So it was nice to see like how many, cause I have no idea how many people played this game. Um, but it was nice to see the fans that come out and support so much like that. This game seems like the kind of game that would develop a very passionate uh, fan base of people who just enjoy this kind of, this kind of uh, experience. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I didn't really get into it much cause this happened. They added mod support after I played it, but I know like there's some people that really get into the mods. Like there's some mods that added like full voice acting and some other stuff. So, Oh wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. Anyway. So for the sequel, the sequel, you, you, you're playing the same barista at the coffee shop and there's one character returning from the first one. Um, I assume we'll see some of the others, but the demo focuses on two new characters. Customer turnover. Yeah. So, you know, it, like you said, it's in it's in like an alternate version of Seattle where just humans and like other creatures just all just they live side by side. There's, um, you know, the first game, there's a there's a mermaid and an orc and a couple of humans and just all the, mm-hmm. coming to the coffee shop. And then the, a, yeah. an astronaut person, something. Oh, OK. Um, <laughs> who's not from around here. Um, so in, in the demo for the sequel you have a there's a guy who comes in who's a, a satyr so he's like he looks like an elf but he has like these goat horns and then the woman that is in like all of the promotional pictures and the logo on steam and everything for the game um who turns out to be a banshee which is interesting because that's that's neither of those are races that were talked about or in the first game mm-hmm. so i don't know it's it's interesting and they, like, they talk about you know just like real life problems like they're they're even though they're these 
creatures and beings that don't actually exist it's it's really strangely down to earth and relatable like her thing is that she she wants to sing um but she's a banshee so she she put up some videos online and the the comments were not kind to her so like really like Uh, hurt her and and then the other guy in the in the shop with you is like this like social media not an influencer exactly but he just covers trendy stuff so he's trying to give her advice and i don't know it's an interesting crossover of like real life situations with these like fantastical fantastical yeah and then in the middle is just like this this cop who's trying to get home for his to see his wife and his kids but there's too much rain well it is seattle yes so (laughs) and there is some latte art you can play around with in the demo and i'm still no better at it now than i was in 2020 but you know i try i i really like that they actually built that into the game like it's it's a pretty cool little system well that's nice i'm hoping that this it's not even a sequel this is like a it's episode two, so I'm hoping that it delivers the same uh, really relaxing, chill experience that the first one did. And it sounds like, based on the demo, that it does. Yeah, so far. I, I was really happy with it. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to thank both of you for coming on today and talking about, in, in Mike's case, like four games. <laughs> um, but before we go, I just wanted to uh, have a little bit of a discussion question inspired by some of the stuff that we talked about in this episode. Uh, including the fact that Coffee Time or Coffee Talk is a, uh, I guess it's not a sequel, like I said. Um, so my discussion question this week is, just out of curiosity, what is your favorite video game sequel and what is your least favorite video game sequel? Um, and these, preferably, you know, they can be RPGs or adventure games or in our coverage, but if you wanted to mention something that isn't, if you have a specific game that you it really jumps out at you, uh, feel free. So, uh, Zach... For you, which what's your favorite video game sequel and what's your least favorite? Favorite sequel is actually tough because my two favorite games are both sequels. <laughs> um, <laughs> ah. So Suikoden Into and Near Automata, both sequels, both phenomenal. Um, I'm, not both surprised by, I'm, not, I'm not surprised <laughs> by that Suikoden Into for some reason. Yeah, no, go figure, right? Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're both uh, amazing games that improve on the original in basically every way. Um, so yeah, they're my they're definitely my two favorite games. Um, My least favorite sequel. Will we be hearing a Suikoden game here too? No, no, (laughs) I like Suikoden 4. Okay. Um, I think it's probably Dragon Quest 2, actually. That's a little surprising, but Um, yeah, I mean, like the first Dragon Quest obviously is not like a fully fleshed out game, but in Dragon Quest 2, they had a lot of ambition, but they didn't know how to do it. And so Mm. they made like a really not very fun game at all. Um, so yeah, Dragon Quest Two is probably my least favorite sequel, just because it's bad, um, which is a good reason. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, um, I couldn't really think of a lot of other sequels that I didn't like. There are a lot of sequels that I do like. Uh, Luffy Two's great. Luffy Two's um, a great game. Yeah, I mean there are a lot of good ones, but in terms of really bad ones, I struggled um, more than I, mean, I thought. It doesn't necessarily need to be like. Two. A really bad game. When I say least yeah. favorite, it could be like most disappointing, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, Dragon Quest Two is my answer. <laughs> I think that's a solid answer. Uh, Mike, how about you? Mm. What is your favorite, and what is your least favorite slash most disappointing? Most disappointing. That that's good because I actually also struggle with least favorite sequel, at least as far as RPGs go. Mm. Because I could I could easily talk about uh, you know Mega Man X Seven here, but that wouldn't really <laughs> fit. Favorite? I think my favorite RPG sequel probably is because it's the one I'm always talking about. Is probably Final Fantasy Thirteen too. Mm-hmm. Um, I I guess I would probably also say Near Automata, but for me, for me, it's not a sequel because I haven't played, f- finished the first game yet. Yeah. <laughs> if that's not a requirement, then I would probably say Automata. Um, <laughs> otherwise, it's it's Thirteen too because I could not get enough of that game. Um, I don't I don't know if most people uh, agree with me on that one, but I. 
I enjoyed it a lot. And I'm sure the fact that it has time travel is part of the reason, but that did help. Mm-hmm. Um, least favorite, I don't know. I really don't. Um, I almost want to stay on brand and, and say Final Fantasy X-2, but I sort of like X-2. So. That, that could be filed under most disappointing, I guess. Yeah, but If I you re- were looking for specific character interactions. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I, I'm sorry to say, like, I, I've been thinking about it this whole time. Like, I don't have a really good one that I just really didn't like. Oh, man, you guys are great. I'm, I, was, I have like a dump truck of least favorite games that I'm just going to pull up and... No, that's not true. Well, I mean, what are yours? Okay, well, uh, in terms of my favorite uh, sequels, uh, my favorite uh, adventure game sequel would be Maniac Mansion Day of the Tentacle. I think it's a perfect sequel to Maniac Mansion. Um, And this is a fairly old game. I just replayed it very recently, and I enjoyed it just as much. Uh, I wish that I could play it again for the first time because I didn't even need to look at a walkthrough or get stuck once. I just, like, plowed through the entire game because I just remember every single puzzle in it. It's so good. It's so funny. Um, I just, I just adore it. Uh, my favorite RPG sequel might just be Yakuza Like a Dragon. Mm. Uh, the reason why is because it is Yakuza one through six is like they're all sequels, of course, but it's telling one continuous story. Whereas Yakuza Like a Dragon starts a brand new story. Uh, so in that way, I feel like it is a true sequel to the original six Yakuza games. Um, and it's so damn good. It's so packed with content. It's ridiculous. It has insanely good turn-based combat. I just, I just adore it. It's a great game. It's so good. It's so much. <laughs> um, I'm just going to say this because it's, I think it's the best video game sequel of all time, or at least one of them, but definitely my favorite video game sequel, even though it's not an RPG is Batman Arkham city. It's, I love Arkham Asylum. Uh, Arkham City is so damn good. It might be one of my favorite games of all time, but in terms of it being a sequel, oh, it's it's amazing. Um, in terms of my least favorite sequel, that's easy, Chrono Cross. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just because I like I like the controversy. Um, no, this is actually a super easy one. My least favorite sequel of all time is Final Fantasy IV: The After Years. Oof. Okay, good one. That yeah. is an excellent choice that I totally didn't think about. Uh, there's a good reason why you didn't think about it, because most people have blocked it out of their memories. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's so fan fiction-y, I can't even remember oh, it. It's so fan fiction-y. <laughs> I get why it's bad, uh, because you know it was episodic, and it was in the early days of mobile and stuff, and they were still figuring it out. But it's just a, oh, it's just terrible. It's terrible fan fiction. Um, and in the most disappointing sequel category in the so in the still great but boy do i have problems with it is yakuza 6 um there are some significant issues i have with the story of yakuza 6 uh and i have major major issues with it and it almost ruined my enjoyment of the game but the game itself is so damn solid that it's it's difficult not to enjoy it but yeah the the story in yakuza 6 has a lot of problems a lot of problems um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty good one. Uh, pretty good answers. Uh, if anyone out there is, you know, want to send in your favorite sequel or least favorite sequel, or you wish to take issue with our choices, please, uh, fire me off a message. Uh, you can do so at podcastrpgfan.com, or if you'd like to get in contact with me directly, you can do so at jlogan at rpgfan.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Jono underscore Logan. Now I'm not the only person on this podcast who have a online presence, Zach, where can we find you online? Uh, the best way is probably email, ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can find me on our Discord, Zach, uh, at, at ZachW. Cool. And Mike, where can we find you online? Email's good for me, too. Um, I Technically, I'm on 
I am on other accounts, but I don't ever use them. So you can get to me at Mike at RPGFan.com. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. You can help us get the word out there. Please rate us on iTunes or your other podcast player of choice. So this is Random Encounter. We have many other episodes, but we are not the only podcast here at RPG Fan. Uh, we have Retro Encounter, and Retro Encounter is back, and it's in time, which is Zach's favorite time. That's a true story. Yes, we had the in Character Fantasy Draft episode that has been released. The next one coming out is focusing on the very first in game. Um, I replayed it for the first time in decades. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Zach, did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's still a great game. Yeah, Sounds good it's, as a sequel, but it's good. Yeah, it's gonna. It's a fun episode. We get to we get to dive pretty deep into Suikoden. Um, so yeah, look forward to those. We also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG fans' music podcast. Uh, Mike is the host of that, uh, hosting alongside Hillary much of the time. Mike, what do we have coming up on Rhythm Encounter for the future? So we haven't been talking about this too much because I wanted it to be somewhat of a surprise. But the next episode. Uh, coming up after this is an episode on the lunar games. So um, you yes. can you can hear all about why on that episode, but the the short version is you know lunar is very important to like the origin of RPG fan, and June is the 30th anniversary of the lunar series. So we got to goodness. talk about the music, yeah. And the music is great. I mean, there's boat song, which I think everyone knows, and if you don't know it, you should listen to our karaoke episode of Rhythm Encounter, where <laughs> Scott sings it and uh, does an amazing job. I'm ch- still trying to convince Mike to use that version. I frankly think it's a mistake. That just should have been the whole episode. Just Scott singing <laughs> that and just you guys chatting about it. Maybe we'll do a follow-up. <laughs> of the karaoke episode or Lunar, because the karaoke episode nearly killed me. <laughs> well, we'll, pl- we'll do it way further in advance, so you have plenty of time. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I want to thank both of you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, I know there's a lot of news, a lot of things going on. Zach, I know you're on vacation right now or a vacation of sorts. So I appreciate you giving uh, your time up. Uh, You've been on a lot of podcasts lately. That's true. And you will be on many more podcasts in the future. So uh, you're going to be hearing a lot of Zach. And I think I'm with him on most of them, actually. So you'll be hearing a lot of me. everybody. And you'll be hearing a lot of Mike, too, because, you know, Mike's on... uh, is on uh, rhythm sorry so, about that everybody yeah so uh if you if you like us good news if you don't like the three of us well what are you doing listening to this podcast exactly um <laughs> exactly uh well anyway thank you for joining us today uh and thank you all of you out there for joining us and whatever you're playing have fun